So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels, to the first ever bonus episode of the show. Oh, bonus. Bonus, yep. Yeah, so a lot of you have asked us for more content, so here you go. Here you go. So this is a live recording from our Apple Store session with Alice Living. What a lovely human being Alice Living is. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, We did a nice little interview and then a Q&A session. Yeah, so it was really fun to sit down with Alice, who is a personal trainer, a blogger, best-selling author, absolutely crushing it on Instagram. She's, uh, she's just an all-around awesome person. Yeah, it's really great to hear her story, like where she came from, like how she's managed to build such a huge loyal audience. Like it was such a good chat. So enjoyed this bonus episode on a Wednesday. We have another bonus episode coming out next week, which is our episode with Sarah Tasker, which was also recorded at the Apple store in Covent Garden. And if you get a chance to go down to a Today Apple event, we absolutely recommend it, as well as the audio of the Q&A and interview that we're going to be sharing here. There was also like a teachable moment where you can get like hands on with Apple products and try them out and learn some new skills and stuff. So yeah, you get the experts that come down to actually teach you how to do stuff. So with Alice, we did a Lightroom photography session. Yeah. And I actually learned how to take a decent photo. You did. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, enjoy. And uh, let us know what you think on Instagram at Rebels Create. And thank you. Bye. Bye. doing our podcast live in the Apple Store. My pleasure. It's a joy to be here. (laughs) So I'm going to go really, really deep with our first question. Would you say you're happy? Oh my God. Right? You've really gone. (laughs) I don't think happiness is a linear thing. I think I have days of extreme happiness and days where I'm not so happy because shit happens. Can I swear? No, you can't. (laughs) That's why I said whatever the heck you want to do earlier. But yeah, right now I am very happy. I'm in a good place and I'm very, very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. What defines happiness for you? Ooh, what does define happiness for me? I don't think it should come from external objects or things. I think happiness is an inner feeling of contentment and... I, for so long, sought happiness in other things, in like the way I looked, in physical or material items. And I've actually come to realize that it's very much like an inner feeling of, I would say, peace, like an inner feeling of waking up and just being like, I know that whatever happens, I think I'm gonna be okay. And I don't know, I think, 
It, it can be different. Like, happiness can be the smallest of things. Like, it can be a yeah. really nice... Like, someone asked me the other day, what makes me most happy? And I said one of them is being, like, conversations with strangers. Yeah. Like, when I go into the coffee shop in the morning, I'm usually quite chatty because you can't stop me talking. <laughs> and I'll have, like, conversations with strangers and it'll be, it'll be a highlight of my day because I'll meet someone new and we'll have, like, a really nice conversation. I'll be like, oh, my God, that was just, that's made my day. And hopefully made theirs as well. But yeah, so I think it could be a whole number of things. But gen generally, I think it comes from an inner feeling of being at peace, being calm, and being comfortable in who you are. I think you hear a lot of people saying, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. Yeah, um, and especially I think in my job. For, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that the way that humans are wired, that we, we never, as soon as we do achieve something, it's then on to the next goal, because that's just, that's how all of this madness exists, is because we can't just sit still and hold our own hands. We have to like be doing something all the time. And so basing your life on, I'll be happy when I get the car or when I get that salary or when I buy that house, it's like, but then you get the house or the, or the salary or the car and then, then what's next? So, and, and the reason I asked you the question is it just, it feels your, your content is your life. You're very kind of open, especially on Instagram, which is like your main platform. And you're sharing your stories on there, but you just, you document things as they are. And you're very kind of honest with your audience. And I guess that's something that's quite important to you, especially the honesty. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on something there and that we're so, we live in a world now where we get like instant gratification from things. So like you, you mentioned about being on our phones, you know, you want to know where to go for dinner. You've got like a million different restaurant choices straight away and you want to take a picture. You can just get your camera out and bang, you can edit it and be done. Like we're, we're getting used to that form of instant gratification that when, when we have to work a little bit harder for things or when things don't come as easily to us, it feels like a real struggle. And I think that's something that I've certainly felt challenged with. And I think particularly in my job as a personal trainer, for example, I have people that come to me and they literally want to, you know, look different in, in two weeks. And it's like, well, it just doesn't happen like that. And I think using that as an analogy, you know, most things take time. The best things take a long time to get. I, I think that you're right in that, I guess for me, I, I definitely created my page and my kind of Instagram off the back of getting something quite quickly and having like an instant physical transformation. But it was actually off the back of that that I then learned that that was never what I wanted in the first place. And that actually like it was, it was kind of the, a big microscope on actually what was kind of wrong in my life and helped me to find actually that there was peace in kind of chilling out a bit and not wanting things all the time and not wanting to like be in control of everything and just actually letting things happen. And I think you mentioned about in terms of my content being very real, it's been the most cathartic thing to be able to just know that I can be completely and, and, and genuinely myself online. I think for, for a very long time, I'll be absolutely honest and say that I created this kind of persona that I thought people wanted to see. And I think we all do that. I think naturally when you're online and you have a presence online, you play it up to the camera a little bit because it's like, oh God, I, I think people want me to be the best version of myself and people won't like me if I say that I'm having a bad day or people won't like me if I moan about the fact that I've got to do my washing or if I'm, you know, having a bad period or whatever. <laughs> I talk about everything and anything. But actually what I've come to realise is through this crazy world of social media, we've kind of come, come full circle in terms of craving perfection and now people do crave realness Goodness, yeah. and that kind of like seeing someone's real life a genuine self authenticity is that word that's kind of thrown around all the time and people it's like a bit of an elusive word because no one really knows what it means but well they do but you know what I mean like what actually does authenticity mean but for me it is just being really honest and showing the bad showing the good showing everything 
and being, yeah, I guess, honest, with, honest and transparent with the content that I create. What was the point for you between trying to appeal to everyone else's thoughts and then just doing it for yourself? Yeah, I think you have to be really careful because I create content that I'm passionate about and that I care about in the hope that other people will be interested in it. And thankfully they are. I think if I created content specifically for other people or because I'd be, almost be like chasing my own tail because there's always new stuff that people want. Like, absolutely, you have to listen to what your audience wants to a certain extent because they're the people that are, you know, engaging in your content. But I think a lot of people now set out to get engagement and get famous on social media or whatever. So they start creating the content that they think people want to see, but the passion very quickly runs out because there's only so much that you can kind of do that without having yeah. a real underlying, like, genuine love for content creation and for doing what you do and that whole kind of journey as well so actually like my page started out as a private page that I created for myself to kind of document my own lifestyle transformation and the passion was there from the outset because I never started it to get followers or to be an influencer it just so happened that that grew along the way and it's a, a really nice coincidence and I've ended up where I am today, but it was never my incentive. And so I've had to continue from there, remembering that the content I'm creating is for me, like it's, it's, it's my voice, it's what I want to talk about, it's what I'm passionate about. And therefore my drive to continue to create content remains rather than feeling as though I'm having to create stuff for other people and, and not really finding the love with that. What is it you're passionate about? Oh God, all sorts, <laughs> all sorts. Celine Dion? Celine Dion, for one, who I did not see when she was in London. I think there's lots of things that I'm passionate about, but I think the main thing right now is that I'm passionate about education and I'm passionate about creating a safe space for learning. I think the role that I occupy within the fitness industry is quite an interesting one and in that the fitness industry itself has gone through a big transformation recently and kind of coming, come off the back of a very strange and restrictive and kind of very trend-led time and now it's very much more relaxed and people are finding exercise to be good for their health not just to change the way that they look and people are enjoying finding different ways of moving their body rather than just feeling as though they have to go to the gym again with food for example people are a lot more relaxed and realizing that health doesn't look one way that they can eat lots of different ways and still be healthy so that's a really nice thing and I think being an educational voice within that world for me is something that I am really passionate about but you know I'm also passionate about going to the theater and I'm also passionate about content creation and I'm also passionate about loads of other things so but yeah in terms of my content that I create that's that's my main uh main objective yeah, I, th I think that's really interesting in that you're, you're making it for your audience, but you're always keeping yourself, uh, your sanity, I guess, um, in mind. And I think that's what I love about our podcast is that we don't monetize it. We, we just make it for our audience. And so that means we can just like find people that we're interested in where there's no, there's no kind of limits that are put on us. And we can just talk about what we're passionate about, which is helping people like get unlocked from the matrix and, and sort of do, do the stuff that rewards them, the, the stuff that makes them get out of bed in the morning. Because I think, I think like we're living in a time where that's, that's so achievable now. Yeah. Um, and like every day when you wake up, like you're pumped that you're doing what you're doing and you don't have to look at spreadsheets or whatever it is that people are doing that they're not really happy with. Because mm -hmm. I think like we, we get a lot of DMs from people who are 
who are not doing something that's fulfilling them. Um, and I think now more than ever, it's, it's definitely possible. But it's interesting that you started off, especially on Instagram, which is such a huge platform for you. You started off as a private account, which blows my mind, <laughs> because you can't get any new followers if no one can see what you're doing. I know. And what, what, when you like, decided to, to flip it into actually yeah. being, being seen, mm. did you come in with a strategy, or was it still just, this is no. just documentation? Literally, no. And the only reason why I made it public was because I started to engage with a lot of people that were doing very similar things to me or that were engaging in my own content. And I wasn't able to like see or they weren't able to see what I was doing. So I was like, oh, actually, maybe I'll make it a public page and then I'm able to see what other people are doing, be able to engage a little bit better with the people that were following me. But I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. I didn't tell any of my housemates that I was living with at the time. I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, it's crazy. Then it like... I think early on, it started to grow quite quickly. You know, it was at a very pivotal time for Instagram when it was, like, quite easy to grow. And then I started engaging with people like Joe Wicks. And, and then, yeah, it just all took off from there, really. And would you say you've got a strategy now? Um, no. Like, I, I know people that do, but it's just never been... Like, I'm such an off-the-cuff person. I have to really feel something to write it. You know, I've, I've always been very adamant that I won't post for the sake of posting. I've got to really feel that I have something to say and therefore I'm going to say it. Even if it's just that, like, I'd made a nice dinner and I'm like, look at this, or that I'm going out and I like my outfit. Like, that's still having a purpose. I don't, I don't ever want to just be like... I don't ever feel like I have to post because I think that's another thing. Like, it's important to know that, like, you, have, you, are, the, the, you are in control of your, your feed and that you can absolutely just not post if you don't want to. You don't, you're not at the... Your audience don't control you there. Do you know, do you know what I mean? So that, like, they can't decide how much content you create. You decide that. But, yeah, I don't, I don't have a strategy at all. And I know loads of people that do, and, like, it works for them, but it's just never been something that I've, I've ever followed Probably because I'd forget it within like two seconds or lose the bit of paper that I wrote it down on. <laughs> That's just how I am. <laughs> and, and I guess it would become more of a job then. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a job. It does. In, on some days. Like when I'm making content for brands and stuff, it really does feel like a job because there's like contracts and it's very specific how you have to make stuff. And so, I guess some of the creative license, and I'm sure you guys will know this as well, is taken away from you because you have to conform to a brand brief. But then some days I just love, like, I'll put, I mean, even little things like just getting nice messages from people or engaging with people that follow you and, and having, like, a kind of little conversation, meeting people, you know, that kind of stuff is when it doesn't feel like a job and it's like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky that I get to do this every day. How do you keep your balance between, like, because Instagram's kind of your life, like, it's so all-encompassing, but... You, it's not like work you can just go home from. It's like a phone in your pocket. Like, yeah. how do you switch off? I think it's really difficult. I'm, I'm still learning because I am that person that probably will be on my bed, uh, in my bed, on my phone at like 10 o'clock at night. And it's bad, but I, I just, sometimes I just get a bit carried away in an Instagram vortex of like scrolling <laughs> social media. And I'm sure we all do it. But I'm trying to get better. I think it has to be, for me, I have to consciously put my phone down. I'm not the most productive of people if I'm on my phone or if it's in the, in the room. So I literally have to... I think there was a study as well that showed that even if your phone wasn't on but it was turned up, that your productivity decreased by, like, 30% or something ridiculous. So I, um, I have to have it, like, away from me to have time off and to focus on my other work, which is really important for me. And then when I'm at home, just making sure that I try and limit my screen time as much as possible. But, you know, I, I, 
it's difficult. I'm trying. I'm, I'm still learning. So when you, you're, you're on private, you were actually part of the theatre and you were yes. performing on stage. I know. Stage. My other life. Like, when was the point where you decided, I'm going to leave that behind and do something, I mean, really completely different, yeah. personal training? So I left theatre school. I graduated early because I got my first job and I went on tour with a musical called Annie. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> it's a song about the sun coming out. Um, and so I did that for a year and I toured the UK with the show. And then when my contract was coming to an end, there were two things that happened. The first thing was that I was in a show with some of the most talented people that I've ever worked with. And all of them were going out and auditioning for other jobs and they were getting no's. And that really scared me because I was like, I'm not auditioning because I was working on my first book. But it's terrifying that there are people that are this talented that aren't getting jobs. And if they're not getting jobs and I'm trying to juggle three jobs and audition at the same time, that was really scary for me. So then I looked at the practicalities of being able to juggle everything in the way that I thought I was able to. And I kind of realized that over that year during the show, I'd had a real like knock to my health in that I was doing eight to 10 shows a week. I was working upwards of 16 hours a day, going home, writing a book, then doing like two shows a day. And I was physically and mentally exhausted. And I just thought to myself, I can't do this. And I'd taken the commitment of writing my first book and I just thought, this is, a, this is an opportunity that's never going to come around again. I can't not put my heart and soul into it. So I decided to take a year out and focus on my writing and my career outside of that. And then I found personal training. And I was like, oh, I love this. You know, like I I'd, I'd got my qualification a while ago, but I actually started training clients for the first time. And I really enjoyed it. And it gave me a different kind of buzz. It's not the same as standing on a stage in front of thousands of people, for sure. But it was, a, it was a different kind of buzz and it was great. And I loved it. And then that's when that career, I guess, started to take off. And yeah, I haven't really looked back. So I, I miss it so much. And I think I will always miss that side of my life because I don't think you ever get rid of that feeling of, of wanting to be on stage and loving performing and whatever, but I just get my, get my kicks in different ways now, like going to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's really interesting of, of getting your kicks, like finding the buzz somewhere else. I gave a talk yesterday and one of the questions in the Q&A was, because I spoke a lot about my sort of illegal graffiti past because I painted illegally for 10 years and uh, someone was sort of asking like, was it difficult to give up? And like the honest answer is like, yes, it, it was. Like I was addicted to the, the adrenaline rush of being somewhere where I shouldn't be and occasionally being chased by the police. Like <laughs> that was quite fun at the time. And, and it, was, it was hard to give up. So I had to, I had to replace it yeah. with, with other things. And, that's, and that became growing a business and, and building things with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Just you've got to find something new. I think we always have to have something to focus on and something to work towards and I think that's why this show's given us a new lease of life hasn't it of of like and like you mentioned earlier when you get interaction from your audience and people are sending you dms and stuff it's like I mean it's it's incredible but I think it? it's also how you look at it you know I could have ended my theatre career and, and literally gone into a hole of depression and been like I'm never going to do 100%. that again how awful or I can look at it as, wow, I've had the most amazing opportunity to do something else. I had the most amazing time doing the show, but actually, like, I'm a glass half full person. I've always tried to have positivity at the heart of everything that I do because I believe that whilst positivity isn't a, a, a permanent 
feature in, in how I feel. It's something that I try and drive into every day because I do believe that there are always two ways that you can look at things and looking at my situation and being like, or yours even, and saying, oh, you know, you can look at it in a negative way and say, oh, God, I can't do that again, that's awful. Or you can look at it in a positive way and say, right, well, that was an amazing time. Now I'm moving on and I'm looking to the future and these are all the amazing things that I'm going to achieve in a different way. And I just think it's all about perspective. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, when, we're, when we go through the episodes and we pick out a clip, it's like, that's, that's, that's clip. the clip. <laughs> like, sometimes you just hear them when the guest's talking and you're like, yeah, that's a clip. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would have ended up dead or in prison, so it was it was definitely good that I stopped. Well, to take, um, and look yeah. at you now in yeah. your snazzy green trousers. The snazzy pants How exciting! On. Uh, <laughs> so, personal training. Um, yes. So when we interviewed Torre a few weeks ago, one of the things he said is his like tip for interviewing people. He was like, sometimes you'll mention something and you'll see them light up, and he was like that's something that they're really passionate about and they care about. Yeah. You mentioned personal training and you like beamed and it like, yeah. it like came over to you. What is it you love so much about personal training? Okay, so there's a couple of things. Firstly, I think people have a really misunderstood impression of what personal trainers are. I think they think they're kind of these big beefcakes that walk around the shout gym at, yeah. and like shout at you <laughs> and shame you into doing 100 burpees. That's not how I work. I think that a personal Surprising. trainer is... What? That's surprising. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. So I've had the fortunate opportunity of working with incredible people throughout my personal training career and continue to. So I started off, I worked at a gym in Chelsea and I worked with a lot of women. And I think what I've learned is that I've met such a diverse mix of people who all have so many different things going on in their lives. Half of my job is just listening you know, it's not about training Maybe. someone. It's just about listening to what that person wants, what they want to achieve. And instead of projecting my own agenda and my own bias onto them, actually listening and saying, okay, I think this is the best thing for you. But understanding that you're there to help them, not there to shame them. And I think that's something where the fitness industry has gone massively wrong over the last God knows how many years. So I, I love it. The reason why I love it so much like you asked is because I think you can make such a huge difference to someone's life in a very by, by doing very very small things you know in increasing someone's health and happiness can be the, as simple things as telling them to get a good night's sleep every night drink a bit more water walk a bit more get outside it's not about making them you know do 20 marathons a year or be able to deadlift 100 kilos like Everyone has different goals, and don't get me wrong, I do have some people that do want to achieve those things, but at the same time, most people come to me just wanting to feel a bit better, often confused with wanting to look better, which is fine, and that's a totally valid goal, but most people want to feel better, and I totally believe that I can help anyone do that, and I think that's a really exciting opportunity to be able to do. And then, yeah, I guess off the back of that, I've trained people for, then gone on to train people for film and television, which has been probably one of my favorite things to do, so working with celebrities to, to get them ready for exciting projects has been amazing. So I guess it's taken me in lots of different ways and it's kind of gone back into the theatre world and it's gone back into doing all the other things. So everything feeds everything and, and there's a reason for everything as well. And I just believe that I was put on this earth to help people in some way. And if it's not making them smile because they're watching an amazing show, it'll be that I'm helping them in the gym and I'm happy with doing both of those. Who's been the biggest influence in your life? Ooh... Um, good question, Ed. That is a really good question. I have two people. My godmother is like one of the most amazing people that I've ever met in my entire life. And without like name dropping, she's like a seriously successful businesswoman. She's one of the top, I think, businesswomen in the UK. 
and she told me two things when I was growing up. The first one is that you should always treat everyone how you want to be treated. And I think as simple as that saying is, it, ne it rarely happens. We can be so consumed in our own little bubble of like you being number one and being the most important that we forget to treat other people with kindness and respect. We also have a lot of stigma and a lot of bias and a lot of just loaded feelings about different types of people. And I think if we can just practice a bit more kindness and treat other people how we would wish to be treated ourselves, I think that can go a long way, particularly in business. I think I've seen a lot of people that ha are at the top of their game that forget about the people that are around them and can treat people badly. And those people rise to the top as well. And when they do, they remember how you treated them. So I think it is really important in a business sense to treat people really well. And then the other person is, um, it's going to be really cringy, but it is my mom. Like she is my number one fan and <laughs> number one fan. I think it's really important in terms of like support structure that you have someone that is your number one cheerleader no matter what. You know, even if I came last in the school race at like on sports day, she'd be like, yeah, but <laughs> you won that last prize and you, you owned it. Like she's so positive and she always like comments on everything I do. On, you'll probably see her on Instagram now. She comments on everything I do on Instagram. She's always so, so so positive and will always be my number one supporter. And I think sometimes when you can't even like cheerleader yourself, because you know, it doesn't, doesn't happen every time. It's always nice to have someone that will always be your like number one cheerleader. And I think, what would mum think of this scenario? And yeah, I'm, su I'm surprised she's not here. She usually comes to everything. She'll probably walk in the back in like two minutes, be like, I'm sorry I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> she's buying an iPad around the corner, yeah. <laughs> I saw her. Um, so you've got a podcast. I do. And it's, interviewing strong women specifically women yes so the podcast was born out of i guess my my feeling that there wasn't enough women speaking about their experiences within sports specifically and how sport has helped them exercise sport has helped them so we kind of came up with a tagline of finding an inner resilience through finding physical strength and we have a whole mix of people that i've interviewed on there so everyone like dane kelly holmes jess ennis but then also people like Martine Wright, she lost both her legs above the knee in the 7-7 bombings and then went on to compete in the Paralympics. We've had Sophie Butler, she had a spinal cord injury at 22 and she is now an ambassador for Gymshark. We've had Gabby Logan. So all different types of women that have found sport to be their kind of inner, res uh, to help them, sport, sorry, has helped them develop an inner resilience because that's what it did for me. And yeah, it's been amazing. And I think what's really interesting, and I was speaking to, it about, to someone about it today, but like how humbling it is to, and I'm sure you have this as well, to meet people who are so special and so incredible and have had the most challenging of things thrown at them, but then have still been able to overcome adversity and find positivity out of that. And I think there's something in that. And that is honestly, if, if there was one thing that gets me out of bed every day, it's that I've met people that have been through the worst of what, some, of what life can throw at you sometimes. You know, like Martine, she was in such an... A, an awful awful accident and like when she describes it and if you can read her book do but she was basically left for dead on these train tracks after being a victim in that 7-7 bombing 
And to come back off that and to be able to have a child and to be able to compete in seated volleyball like she does and to have the energy and positivity that she exudes every day, I'm like, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, then I don't know what will because, yeah, she's incredible. So it's honestly been the most humbling thing. And like you said, like I, I paid for it all myself. It was, it was a real passion project that I was like, I, I really feel like people can learn something from this and get something from this. And, yeah, it was the most, one, of my, one of my best projects to date. The show's great. I've really enjoyed what I've listened to so far. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, keep on making that because yeah, I think podcasts are just so great like, and you can just help so many people while they're doing the washing up. You can be in their ears just like, like helping them on. So, yeah. yeah, I love it. And I don't know if you guessed, but I like talking quite a bit. So, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. <laughs> so we've got to wrap this very shortly because we're going to move on to Q&A. Um, but one last question I did want to get to is you have in the past turned down big kind of brand partnerships. So obviously brand partnerships are, are really, really big for you. You've worked for like huge names like Primark. What decision making do you use like between like I will work with a brand or I won't work with a brand? Yeah, it's really simple. I think it has to align with my ethos. It has to be a brand that is accessible, that is diverse, that is promoting, I guess, a positive message and is at the core of it, like something that I believe it, I would use myself. If it isn't, then it's it's just not for me. I think you have to be, you know, there's this huge money in brand deals and it's very easy to be, be kind of dazzled by big figures and be like, yeah, I'll do that. But at the core of what I do is, is integrity and is credibility. And that could be gone in a second if I took the wrong brand deal. So you have to constantly be reminding yourself of that and saying, no matter how much money someone throws at me, my, my credibility and my integrity as a person and as a content creator is far greater than any, any amount of cash you can throw. So yeah, I think it's just about reminding yourself of that and knowing that unless a brand truly aligns with your, your core message and your ethos, it's not the one for you. And better stuff will come along. I think there's something really, really special about keeping your powder dry and sitting back and letting brands come to you and turning things down rather than saying yes to everything. 100% agree with that and I think it's one it's something we've talked about before is that definitely creatives are really guilty of doing this of, of being dazzled like you said by the big name and going oh I'll do that for free like no make sure you're paid and yeah make sure you're paid well especially yeah. if, it's, if it's a big brand because the money is out there yeah. Um, so yeah I would know your worth know your I think worth, that's the most yeah. important thing no, you know there are so many people that for example, freelancers, I think this, we are in a new era of the freelancer and I think people are getting taken for a ride when it comes to doing things for free or not getting paid the money that they, they are deserved. So like being quite firm in the fact that you know what it is that you charge and you are very, I guess, precise in the fact that you, you must be paid that money or, or it's a no. I think people can have more confidence in that world, definitely in terms of knowing their, their own worth. 100%. So on that note, we are going to open things up to the floor. I think the Apple staff have got some mics, right? Yes. So this lovely lady here, if you raise your hand, we'll give you a mic if anyone has. Oh, and another lovely lady here has got a mic as well. So are there any questions for ourselves or for Alice? Don't be shy. There we go. There's one. Hi. Um, Hi. The one thing you mentioned was the book deal. Did that come off the back of Instagram and did you have a lot of followers and how did that kind of come about? Yeah, it, it came off the back of Instagram. I was still creating content and my following had grown quite a lot and I was contacted by a company called United Agents 
And I was like, oh my God, I've never, like, I mean, it was no, never something that had ever been on my radar before. And I went for a meeting with them and I turned it down because I was like, I, I actually didn't believe that it, that it was true. I thought they were like taking me for some kind of a scam. And then I met a woman called Carly Cook who went on to become my literary agent. And she was the most amazing person who kind of helped me to see the possibility of doing a book in a much more realistic way and was able to help me kind of navigate that journey. So yeah, I created a proposal with her, took that out. It went to bidding between all the different publishers and then I ended up signing a two book deal with HarperCollins. And yeah, that was all off the back of Instagram. Another question, in regards to building that following and engagement, was that really important at the start to like build, I say like loyal followers and they say that if you get like 1,000 loyal followers, you can make a living off the back of that. Was that true for you at the start? So it was a very different time, you know, it was like four years ago. It's very, it's like Instagram's changed so much now. But I think the most important thing for me was sticking to my core message, engaging with the people that were engaging with me. So constantly, I was really like working hard at like engaging with people that commented on my stuff, but also actively engaging in other profiles that were similar to mine, regularly posting, but also just being like, sorry to sound really cheesy, but being like quite genuine, I think... You could, I can very easily tell someone that set up an Instagram to get followers rather than because they genuinely feel as though they have something to say. And the, in, and the kind of content that I engage with best is someone that is genuinely speaking from the heart and has, you know, a, a, a narrative that kind of follows throughout their entire content rather than, I don't personally, although I t totally see there's a place for it, I don't necessarily engage with stuff that's quite like 2D, if you know what I mean by that. I want a long caption. I want someone to, I want to hear their voice. I want to see them on Instagram stories. You know, and as all that stuff kind of got introduced, I totally embraced it and made, welcome people into my, my life, I guess. And I, and I think that's what helped it. Yeah, to, talking you. to a few guests that we've had on the show, it seems that people, like brands, want to work with people who have a personality a lot more than just a high following these days. So it'd be like certain fitness people we've talked to who don't have a massive following, but because they're so active in terms of just being a personality, they get a lot of partnerships off. Yeah, so I think the theory you're talking about is the 1,000 True Fans theory, which is um, by Kevin Kelly, which is a really interesting read that I would recommend people seek out. I don't think that's quite true anymore. I think the number is higher than 1,000. Like, for example, this podcast, we started it not to make money. It has made money, which is, which is great, but that was not the goal of it. But I think when you just start engaging people around you and helping people, essentially, which is, that's what Alice has done, that's what we've done with the podcast. As soon as you start helping people, that mobilizes them around you. And I'm sure if we had an ask of our audience, say if we brought out a book, I think they'd probably buy it. But for us, it's been kind of quite important that we don't really want to ask our audience for money just because they're in the position that we were in nine years ago of like, I'm thinking of starting this thing. And when we did that, money was tight. And like, I didn't have 9.99 for an ebook or whatever, do you know what I mean? So for us, the money that we've brought in from the podcast has all been from, from brands, from doing speaking gigs, from things like that. So I think there's two ways you can go. You can build an audience that you can monetize the audience, but the route that I kind of prefer is like, build the audience, help a bunch of people, and then opportunities just come. Yeah, because we always look to try and get, if a brand wants to work with those, we basically say like, we're not gonna do an ad, but if we can put on an event and help someone like this, like, we just want to help people. So if we can get in front of more people and help our core message go further, that's what the aim is. And I think by doing that, that's where you grow community. I think there's got to be a certain amount of give and take, which is, I think, what you've highlighted there, is that you give so much free content 
to a point that then you're happy to then ask for a little bit back in terms of making a product or making a book or whatever. And I think you're right. I think it is about developing that connection with your audience where you have a true core loyal following of people that will support you with whatever you do. And there is that, that amount of give and take so that like, you're not constantly asking for stuff, but you're also not constantly giving for free. That's the thing, I think, as a consumer as well, like, there'll be people who influence me, who will put out content for ages. They'll release a project that I don't want, but I'll buy it because I know that's going to help them. And I feel like they've given me so much free value that I want to contribute to that with money. The reason the question kind of come about is, so I've got a blog at the minute and I've got a, a severe peanut allergy and 50% of young people don't carry the EpiPens. So I'm trying to like break down that stigma and it's, it's grown like massively over like the, the last eight months to a year. But I just don't know, obviously I'm out of pocket, obviously running the website and everything else and the camera equipment. I just don't know when it's the right time when you do try and get a bit of money back. Because obviously at the minute I'm trying to help people and, and give young people the confidence to speak up about their allergy. But From my experience, I kind of think you know when to monetize it when people are coming to you and saying, here's money, like take my money. Like don't try and force it because you'll know it's the right time when people start messaging you and being like, I'm holding an event, I want you to come and I want to pay you to do it. That's when's the right time to yeah. manage. I think I think yours is a really specific question. So if you have got time, stick around at the end, and we'll kind yeah, of we we'll come talk to you and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, delve into it. I think we've got time for maybe two more questions. Hi, are you? Um, yeah. So we live in a world where Instagram's so accessible, and we can see into people's lives. Years ago, we had to get in your car and go and maybe see what your cousin was wearing or compare you know, outfits or whatever. One of my favorite quotes is, comparison is a thief of joy. And I suppose in your world, Alice, how do you, you know, you, like one of my favorite reasons to follow you is because you keep it real. And how do you keep it real in uh, this Instagrammable world where, you know, there's pressure to get the, the perfect picture or, you know, when that's, not the, when that's not the reality. Do you have any advice on not comparing yourself to others? Yeah, of course. So I think it's so easily done and I've certainly been fallen victim to like comparing myself a lot in the past. I think something that actually my manager instilled in me quite early on, which she was like, she said to me, she was like, we've hired you because you're you. And that's the most, that's the most important thing is that you are yourself and your uniqueness is what makes your page work. If you try and be like someone else, if you try and replicate someone else's content or try and dress like someone else or act like someone else, you're losing that authenticity of who you are and why people have followed you in the first place. And that's true in life, you know? People are friends with you because you're you. People want to engage with you because you're you. If you're trying to put on a persona, firstly, it's exhausting. And believe me, like I did that in the early days and I quit very quickly tired myself out doing that. But also, um, like, it's totally not true to who you are. I think I've started to love and appreciate my uniqueness and my unique qualities more and more as I've got older. I think it's very easy when you're young. And I, like, I, I do worry for, like, a lot of young girls growing up. I think it's terrible how all-consuming social media can be now and how that, that, that kind of trap of comparison is just all too easy to fall into. And it really, really does worry me. And I think there's a lot that we can do for that. But I think it's, it's about 
for example, I know you work in schools because you came and talked to me earlier, but like even little things like in schools, getting people to recognize their unique qualities. You know, we're all special in so many different ways. We all have wonderful, unique qualities that we bring to the table. Some of us might be really good at maths. I'm not. Some of us might be really good at photography. I'm not. But I bring other things to the table and those are my qualities that I'm going to celebrate. I think it's less about looking at what I don't have and rather looking at what I do have. Again, it's that, that coming back to that thing of perspective. I sit in a place now where I'm happy to say, I know my strengths, I know what I'm really good at, and I celebrate those every day and I work on those. And there are things that I'm not good at, and there are things that I wish I had but I don't. But trying to focus less on what I don't have and rather than what I do have has really helped me. So each day it's like maybe even, I don't know, writing a list and saying like, instead of looking at everything I don't have, what are my positives? What are the things that I bring to the table today? What's my, good, what's my good points? What do I, what can I celebrate about myself? Because I think that for me is, is something that can set you up in a really positive way for the day ahead rather than looking at, oh God, I'm not this, I don't have that. She has this, I wanna be like her. You know, it's so, it's so easily done. And like I said, yeah, it does, it does scare me a bit where we're going with, for, for like, particularly like young girls and boys, I just think there's more we can do to support them, I do think. Good question, by the way. All right, last question, if we've got any. There we go. Hi, can you hear? Hey. Hi. Oh, it's Favourite brand to have worked with, and which brand would you love to work with? Oh, okay. So my favourite brand to work with was Primark. I did two clothing collections with them. One came out last year and one came out this year. And they are a joy to work with. They're the, one of the most diverse and inclusive brands that I've ever come across in terms of working with all different types of people. They were very, very receptive to everything that I wanted to do. So it wasn't a, t- a case of, sorry, them telling me what the job was. It was like, what do you want to do? How could we help you create that? And those are always the best kind of brand collaborations is when it's very much a collaboration rather than being like, here's the brief, off you go, create this, come back. So yeah, that was my, my favorite brand to date. A brand that I would love to work with, um, ooh, there's lots I think it's not necessarily a brand but I'd love to do stuff with Jamila Jamil I think she's amazing and her I Way campaign is, is incredible I think maybe getting involved in that in some way or something similar you know something that's almost like more of a campaign or kind of more of an initiative rather than it being like just a brand collaboration that's something that I would be really passionate about doing there's another campaign that I would actually another one that I thought of is This Girl Can have you heard of that? Which is a really good one. So may, yeah, maybe something like that would be really interesting. That's more of what I'd be interested in doing rather than maybe working with a big brand. Good question. Amazing, thank you guys. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show. So we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever. If you can leave us an iTunes review, it makes a huge difference. See ya.